it'll just be an hour of us talking about random stuff. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode number 87. My name is CJ Schrader and with me. As always, my two charitable co-hosts. First off, we got Brian Prill. Wait, Jess Dugs. I always introduce Jess first. Jess Dugs. Wow, I'm so confused right now. I know, I'm sorry. His is nation- that because you were trying to be charitable to Prilliman? Is that the, Maybe. the charity comment? He needs like, it more than anything. Uh-huh. Also, we have Brian Prilliman. Yes, hello, interwebs. It's actually, his his name for some reason popped up on the little Skype small window thing, and I was reading it, and then I was like, wait, anyway. And CJ is just easily distracted by this technology I thing. It's too much for me. Uh, we also so, have, what? What? Go ahead. Oh. We also have a very special guest with us today, Level 2 from Toledo, Ohio, Karsten Hitze. Hi. <laughs> Pronounce it for us one more it's, time. It's pronounced Karsten Hesse. I, I really have had a class on German pronunciation, and I still have no idea what I'm doing. Now, that's that's as far as I got. I only took the class for one day because I was like, I will never need to know German in my life. I will take Spanish instead. It's okay. I'm used to people butchering my name. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> um, hello, Karsten. Hi. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, God. What is there to tell? I mean, uh, well... I'm probably most known for my work for cranealinsertion.com, and I'm also somewhat well-known for organizing a annual charity tournament called Cast a Spell on MS, and those are the two things that I will be talking about here today. Oh, good. That's convenient, isn't it? <laughs> As you said, I'm a level two judge from Toledo, Ohio. So wait, what uh, do you have against... Working on level three. We'll see how that goes. Oh, yeah. What do you have against Microsoft? What Since do I have against Microsoft? Yeah, because you want to cast oh. a spell on them. Some sort <laughs> M- of hex or oh, something. Oh, okay. Wow. MS in this context is multiple sclerosis. Oh, wow. okay. Wow. Wow, well, CJ, you need to get better show notes. Wow. I was confused. <laughs> that was really bad. But let's start off talking about cranial insertion. Cranial insertion is a site I love, personally. I, I read it all the way up from being a level zero to level two, all the way through every week. I would read current hey, insertion. I, I wrote it from level zero to level That's two. That's right. I remember <laughs> when you were writing it, uh, you were level one. Also, so let's let's pretend I don't know what cranial insertion is. I've never heard of it. How would you explain it to me? Okay. So cranial insertion is the longest running rules column for Magic the Gathering rules questions. It was founded in 2005 and will very soon celebrate its nine-year anniversary. And in those nine years, it has run continuously, weekly, never missed a week. Um, We write for a broad audience that includes players as well as judges. Uh, We use humor to break up the dry subject matter, or at least we try to. So, (laughs) you know, we'll use bad puns, pop culture reference, whatever is necessary to uh, squeeze in a little joke here and there. Um, Yeah, it was founded by... Eli Schifrin, who is now a level three judge. Uh, he was level one, I think, when he started. Also, uh, the co-founders are Thijs von Ammen, who is a rules guru, and Jeff von, Dr- Je- uh, Jeff von Druska, who used to be a judge. I don't think he is active anymore. And, you know, then over the years, there were comings and goings, uh, and I joined in 2010, so yeah, four years ago. It's so it's also the website with that layers article. Yes, it's got to be your most linked to. I mean, I know I link almost everyone to it. Probably, yeah. Cranialinsertion.com/slash/ooo. <laughs> oh, really? I know it's Which episode. For, it's a uh, number six. Order of operations. Yeah. 
So let me ask this. You said that you'd been involved since you were uh, an L0 and L1. How does uh, how does an L1 get involved in, in like a big, a big rules uh, uh, website? Well, actually, when I started, I was L0. Ooh. But even before I certified for L1, I was a big rules nut. Uh, I mean, yeah. So... So my history with the game, I played way back when in Germany, uh, shortly after The Dark just stopped being available, <laughs> um, which led to me then buying as much Fallen Empires as I could when that came out, which turned out to be a huge mistake. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, ah, and, okay. And, and I you know, just played casually in you know, various playgroups and whatnot, and uh, eventually just became too expensive of a hobby, and I gave it up. Uh, then fast forward a couple of years, I moved to the U.S., and somewhere around Time Spiral, a colleague of mine invited me to his house to play poker. And uh, at his house, I saw this stack of magic cards in the corner. And like, hey, this game is still around? So I got sucked back into it, and I noticed that you know, a lot of things have changed since I, you know, saw the game last, and uh, became interested in, you know, the rules and wanted to learn how that works to become a better player. Uh, I have not become a better player; I have <laughs> become a judge. Uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, so that was 2006 was when Time Spiral came out. I really started getting into it when Lorwyn came out and I started to become involved in forums, reading rules questions on the Wizards community, answering questions. Uh, I attended the Morning Tide pre-release just so I could get a DCI number so I could take my rules advisor test, uh, which I narrowly failed with 84%. Oh, <laughs> Back then, wow. the passing rate was 85%. Wow. So I took it again two weeks later and passed. Um, so yeah, that was 2008. And in 2008, Cranial Insertion had a, an open invitation to, uh, for people to apply to write because they needed a couple new writers because Tom Fowler and Diane Colley were uh, leaving the team. Um, so I applied, didn't make the cut then, but in 2010 they needed yet another writer and Eli basically got back to me and said, hey, uh, how about it? And um, so I joined the team full-time then, still as an L0, and I tested for L1 about a month into it in January of 2010. So you guys used to be on another website, right, before uh, yeah. you got your own domain? <clears throat> yep. uh, when did When did you guys make the transition over? Oh, God. <laughs> Asking me questions I'm not prepared for. Oh, uh, it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, I don't remember exactly when, but uh, I want to say about three years ago. Okay. So yeah, we know. used to be on MTG Salvation, and uh, there were a couple of technical problems. Uh, MTG Salvation, uh, due to reasons, <laughs> did not want non-English content on their site, and uh, Eli always had plans to also have translations available, and in order to you know, make that as efficient as possible, he decided uh, it would be best to just host the stuff on our own site so we can have the English original and all the translations together on one site and, you know, have all the, the original writers and the translators use all the same markup language. And so it ended up being convenient and also, uh, you know, allowed Eli to have a lot more overview of who is actually involved in the process. Because, I mean, it's not just the four writers right now that uh, write it. We also have teams of translators that translate the site into, or the, the articles, into yeah. German, French, Spanish, uh, 
Chinese. Eight languages or little eight little flags. Each of those are yeah a different language. Wow, and that's and that goes on weekly. Is there's eight translations mm-hmm. each week. Wow. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Have your own site is nice. Yeah. It's just nice to be able. You know, that's why Judge Guys has their own site. It's just nice to be in control of something. You know, like so, it goes up when you want and all that. So you guys answer each week. You answer about twenty ish questions. Yep. Um, do you, do all of those questions come via email submissions, or do you guys make up some on your own just to head off questions that you think it, you're going to get? It varies. Uh, uh, often we do get enough material just from emails to fill out an entire article. Sometimes that's not quite enough, but we also get submissions on Twitter. Uh, that helps. Uh, also, I mean, we are, uh, let's see, yeah, all four of us are active judges, so we do get questions on the determinant floor that sometimes make it into the articles. And uh, you know, the MTG Rules uh, IRC channel is also an excellent source of rules questions. So occasionally I dip into that if I need to fill out an article. I know I've, I've asked a question in there, and then the following week or two, I'm like, wait a second, on <laughs> cranial insertion. And um, for the pre-release articles that come out the Monday after the pre-release, obviously we don't have a lot of material from emails. I mean, we do get some emails about the upcoming set because, you know, spoiler season, people can't help themselves and need to know right now how this card works. So we do get submissions uh, on upcoming sets uh, during, you know, previous seasons. Um, But it's not enough to fill an article, so we'll just have to anticipate, you know, what questions will come up on those cards and, you know, we write uh you know, questions towards that occasionally you guys get a spoiler card too yes uh yeah very sometimes cool. we do get spoiler cards <laughs> although i think this last one was spoiled prematurely in the great the great faq mexa uh, yeah oh well yeah it it, it was spoiled. oh it was perplexing they, chimera yeah perplexing chimera it had to have been yep <laughs> yeah it Wizards accidentally published the FAQ on the day before our preview article was supposed to go live. Yeah, it's disappointing. It was awkward timing. <clears throat> so, on your website, why is there a rabbit on the logo? Or it's a... a secret. Oh, all right. Uh, can... There is there is actually an FAQ on the site. If you look on the top bar, there's a link called CIFAQ. It answers that question, and the answer is it's a secret. That that might be where we got the question from. <laughs> Just say, although I'm gonna I'm gonna create an answer. Okay. You are welcome to guess, gonna, but I can't gonna, confirm or deny you're your guess. Spoil the secret. I think I'm gonna create an answer right now because Carson says that he bought a lot of Fallen Empires, and I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna guess that it's it's uh uh he he developed an infatuation with even Prater. I think that's the card I with the with the giant bunny in front of the altar. I'm looking it up now because I have no idea. Yeah, go look at that. <laughs> yep, that's a giant bunny in front of us. That is a giant bunny in front of an altar. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> oh, yeah, secret, secret solved. So many words on this card. As I said, I cannot confirm or deny your guess. <laughs> I mean, it could be a reference to Rabbit Hole. It could be, uh, you know, maybe it's like a Vistadrix reference. It could be anything. It could be a Monty Python thing, but no, I'm saying it's even Prater. All right. Probably a Monty be. Python thing. It's probably a Monty Python. It's probably even Prater. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. The guest isn't supposed to keep the show on top. Like... <laughs> Great. We're too close. We're too close. We must keep going. Um, he will. He will break. Well, yeah, I think that's all. I think that's all we really had to say about cranial insertion. I, I think it's a great resource out there. Um, people. Yeah, I don't know. It, it helped me a lot getting to 
all the way up to L2, I'll say, you know, not just L1. Because sometimes there's questions on there. I'm just like, what? So something something kind of neat that I noticed reading the FAQs, if you get an account with Cranial Insertion, you can actually set up a, a setting to hide the answers. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yep. That's what I do. Hey, <laughs> I just exercise the self-control and don't read the answer right no, away. No, I got to hide it. Oh, you got to... Are you one of those people that like sneaks down uh, and like, you know, a few like the night before Christmas and like kind of peek in your presence and stuff like that? No. <laughs> you got to hide it from you all. You don't have the self-control to keep yourself from opening it. So yeah, that, that was actually an oft-requested feature that was very difficult to, uh, uh, you know, make happen on MTG Salvation. It was possible, but uh, cumbersome. Right. And, you know, on the new site, I mean, Eli programmed it to have special you know markup tags for this is the answer and then it can hide it automatically if the reader so wishes so who does the who does the co- is it all eli who, who does the coding or yes eli wrote the uh you know programming for the site and i mean the, the guts and the actual visual layout was developed by brian Pask- <clears throat> excuse me brian paskoff who used to be a writer and you know left uh, a while ago Memory's hazy, so I can't say exactly when he left. <laughs> you know, uh, one thing I don't think we asked is who all is writing right now. I think you talked about who started it, but not who is right now. Yeah, so right now it's uh, still Eli. I mean, he has been in it since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he is the longest contributing author to uh, Training Insertion. Uh, then there is myself. Uh, and I'm only putting myself there instead of the end because I'm the second longest running author. <laughs> Uh, then we have James Bennett and Callum Milne so, from Canada. So we've had two of the four writers on the show so far because we had James Bennett on. But oh, I, okay. But oh. I think that was before he was a writer. It might have been. It was a while ago. No, Possible. I don't know. I don't know, man. But I guess we need to get a whole set. And what is this Moko? Moko is our mascot. Oh, okay. He is a zombified chimpanzee. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, uh, if if you read the very first two issues, that explains why he is zombified. Oh. I mean, basically, he's this mail sorting chimpanzee that helps us uh, go through our mail. Uh, in the very first episode, he was alive, and then Eli boomeranged him or catapulted him to Tice Van Omen, the other writer. And uh, during transport, uh, Moko died, and then was zombie, uh, you know, reanimated. So now he's a zombie chimpanzee. Oh. Hey guys, can we get a zombie chimpanzee to sort the mail? Uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> Yeah, what is, what is our logo? Like a bear cub and then like I mean, my cats maybe? Like, our logo is lacking right now. Or our, our uh, and, mascot. And if, our you're mascot. if you're wondering, there actually is a real moco. It's a stuffed animal. Oh, Eli has it. Good. <laughs> I was wondering. I hear Did he it? takes it to tournaments, but in, in a very unfortunate uh, you know, series of events, I have actually never met Eli in real life. <laughs> That's pretty amazing, because, actually. I mean, he used to live out in Arizona and now lives in Boston. And, you know, I'm just, you know, in the middle between the two in Toledo. That's, you know, just too far from, you know, from each other that, you know, there just wasn't a way to visit each other. And, you know, we somehow never worked at the same event together. So uh, I have met, uh, let's see. Yeah, I have met the other two writers. Oh. Hmm. So, yep. so speaking of but, events, yeah, I, I think, and you know, at some point, all four of us will get together in in the same location, and it will form a black hole of rules knowledge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, maybe maybe that's why we just can't let all uh, all four of you <laughs> in the same place at the same time. Well, then if a rules I think question... we've used that joke before. It's, I'm sure we have. <laughs> 
All right. Well, speaking of events and um, stunted force segues, so you're you're planning an event on March 29th. Yes, I am. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that. What's going on with that? Yep. So, uh, yep. It's called Cast a Spell on MS or cast a spell on multiple sclerosis, but because that is very unwieldy to say, and most people know <laughs> that MS does not just mean Microsoft. So the official name is cast a spell on MS. It is an annual charity tournament that I run to benefit the National Multiple, Scler Multiple Sclerosis Society. Uh, started in 2010. So I have done it four times now, and this will be the fifth time. And I'm hoping it will be even bigger and better than the first four times. So what was the, uh, for this particular, uh, uh, event, how did it, how did it get started? Like, what was the, what was the driving factor for getting it going? Well, the driving factor for me personally is, uh, my wife was diagnosed with MS in October of 2008. And, uh, I mean, she is doing reasonably okay. I mean, she has symptoms and, uh, sometimes, you know, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's better than other days, but, you know, we're, we're managing, but. Um, you know, I want to do what I, whatever I can to help out the research in that area because uh, there is no cure known. Very little is known about the causes. Um, and uh, I don't know what is known or not known. But, I mean, research into MS and also, you know, just raising funds to help people deal with their symptoms. I mean, that's a big deal. And, um, I mean, there's other causes like cancer and heart disease, but everybody knows about those. And MS is not as widely known. So, you know, I just do whatever I can to, you know, raise awareness for it and uh, raise funds and, yeah, do what I can. And the one thing I can do is run magic tournaments. And, I mean, back at the time when, you know, the diagnosis came, I was just, you know, peripherally aware that tournaments exist and that there's people like judges. And that was actually also one reason why I decided to become a judge, uh, because I was under the mistaken impression that I had to be a judge to run a tournament. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's not really necessary to be a judge, but I also needed, you know, credibility. You know, otherwise I can just say, hey, give me money and I'll keep it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So, so, so how did you get the get the ball rolling? You know, uh, with great difficulty. <laughs> I mean, here I was a uh, basically level zero fresh L one. I mean, as I said, I certified for level one in January of 2010, and the first one I ran, the first cast spell on MS, was in 2010 in May. So four months after I certified. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't have a lot of connections into the player community. So the turnout was not great. I had 25 total players, raised $430, um, which was okay enough and you know enough of a success to uh, make me want to learn from my mistakes and do better the next year. Honestly, tw uh, 25 players raising 40, 430, that's, I don't know, that didn't seem too bad to me. For, for <laughs> yeah, your first I mean, outing, like... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as I said, it was it was enough of a success that I wanted to uh, to try again. I mean, it wasn't you know entirely discouraging. So. Um, so four yeah, years and, later, how many how many are you drawing in? Uh, before I get to that. Uh, oh. Okay. Just you know a little bit more about my first stumbles of getting it rolling. I mean, I knew that you know I needed prizes, and um, I remember talking to Burnt Bolt, uh, level two judge from. Uh, well, he is now a level two from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, he was nice enough to let me help him out at his M10 pre-release. So that was July 2009. I remember talking to him, uh, bouncing ideas off of him as far as, you know, running a charity tournament. And uh, he uh, told me, 
quite correctly that I couldn't expect much help from Wizards of the Coast on that front. Right. So, uh, had had he run one and, before? Because uh, yours know. is like the first I'd really heard of. But yeah, well, well, and the thing with Wizards of the Coast is, I mean, they're as a subsidiary of Hasbro, they have uh, strict corporate requirements as far as what they do for charity. Um, and if you are interested in finding that out, I recommend you contact Andy Hecht, and uh, he can tell you, you know, <laughs> what they can and can't do. Uh, so, but anyway, I mean, basically. I knew that uh, whatever I would give away in the, as prizes for my tournament would have to be, you know, donations from private individuals or, you know, whatever I could get my hands on. And as I said back then, I didn't really have a lot of connections. So uh, the prizes came from me personally. Uh, I managed to get my hands on a couple of judge foils, uh, which I figured since, uh, I mean, I love the game and I love the rules of the game, but I don't play it very much. So for me, those judge foils were basically just pieces of paper that had no in in intrinsic value to me other than giving them away prizes for this tournament. So I had a judge foil Maze of Ith, a judge foil Stifle, a judge foil something else I don't remember, and a regular Shards of Alara foil um, meddling mage. And so those four foils were there as prizes for the top four, and I had a couple of booster boxes from various tournaments I judged. So, you know, I had prizes that I basically just put up myself. And uh, the University of Toledo was nice enough to let me use a room in their student union for free to host the tournament. So, you know, I uh, basically put together this one-man show on a shoestring budget and, you know, ran a tournament. That's, cool. That's very impressive how you put all that together. Like, <laughs> many people have an idea, and then they don't have the slightest clue how to enact it, so it just doesn't get anywhere. And it sounds like you had an idea and had a vague clue how to enact it, and then just went and <laughs> did it. That's basically it, yeah. Now, one name that I should mention, uh, Stephen Briggs, who is now, of course, level three and regional coordinator and uh, all-around awesome person. Uh, back then, uh, he was a level one, and he had done a couple of charity tournaments, or at least one before I did mine, uh, called... Um, I don't remember the name exactly. It was Mana Pools for something. Uh, and it was uh, for Food Bank, basically collecting food donations for Food Bank, which he ran up in Michigan. Uh, so, And he gave me some pointers on you know, how to run a charity tournament and you know, things like that. So it wasn't all just me. You know, I, I want to give credit where it's due. And Stephen Briggs deserves a lot of credit for many things. <laughs> <laughs> like rocking white glasses. Yeah. Yeah. So... <laughs> So what are what were some takeaways from that first uh, event? Because obviously you didn't give up and you you came back next the following right. year. Yeah, I made two big mistakes that I learned from. One was very poor date planning. Um, the event was in May of 2010. It I picked the date that ended up being the date for regionals. So while I had my little 25-player show, they had 180 players in Detroit at regionals. Mm. <laughs> Would have been nice to have a couple of those people at my tournament. <laughs> so I mean, basically picking a date that doesn't conflict with anything is a good idea. And um, the other problem in May was uh, many of the players in Toledo are actually students that you know don't live in Toledo all the time. And May was after the school year ended, so many of my potential players just weren't in town when the tournament happened. So the next year, I moved the tournament to March. Of course, in March, you have to look out for spring break. So um, 
So yeah, March uh, turned out to be advantageous because you know the students are all still there, and uh, March is also MS Awareness Month, so there's a nice uh, symbolism there in having the tournament in that month. So so yeah, that was the first mistake that I made uh, with uh, you know just picking a bad date, and then the other thing was just uh, as far as you know connection to the uh, player community. You know, I I just wasn't as well established, so. You know, having more connections, knowing more people just helps a lot with the mouth, word of mouth advertising that you need to, you know, reach the player numbers for, you know, getting a good turnout and getting a good donation amount. So in 2011, when I did it the second time, uh, the event tripled in size and uh, <laughs> nice. in the amount of donation it raised. Uh, we had 74 total players, so just about three times as much as the 25 from the year before. And we raised... Uh, let me see here. $1,300. Wow. That yeah. is awesome. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yep. So, wait. And, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, and then it grew from there. The next year, 2012, uh, we had 118 total players and raised $2,665. So the amount of donation doubled again from the year before, which exceeded my wildest expectations. And then last year, 2013, the fourth time I ran it, we had 178 total players and raised over five thousand dollars, five thousand three hundred seventy-six. And uh, yeah, if if you do the math, add up the numbers uh, over the four years that the tournament has run, we have raised nine thousand nine hundred, no, nine thousand seven hundred and seventy-one dollars. Wow. wow, which is a mind-boggling number that before today I didn't even bother to calculate. I mean, <laughs> I knew it was getting up there because you know, mental yeah. rhythm, uh, but uh, you know, just seeing the number on the screen was uh, a little surreal. <laughs> so, is your plan? I, I assume you're going to keep doing this, first of all, because it's been successful. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, as long as I have the energy to do it. I mean, the the tournament has definitely outgrown my cap capability to do it by myself. I mean, there are other people helping me. Uh, but I'm, I'm still the driving force behind it. But I mean, as long as it keeps being successful, you know, as long as I can keep up uh, getting enough stuff to support the tournament, I will keep doing it. So it is an awesome feeling to do it. Yeah. Wow. What? Uh, so when you go into this every year, do you go into this with just kind of a we're going to do the best we can and see what happens attitude? Or do you go into it with a we have a goal, we want to make a certain amount of money, we want to have a certain number of players or whatever that goal might be? Uh, well, we have a goal going into it, but, you know, whether we can meet the goal or not, I mean, <laughs> we do our best as far as advertising the event and uh, drumming up uh, uh, interest, drumming up buzz. But you never know what kind of turnout you will actually get. I mean, uh, I advertise the event on Facebook. You know, it's posted on Facebook as an event, and I can use the RSVPs to gauge how much buzz there is. And uh, so last year's event ended up being uh, having 101 RSVPs, which translated into 178 total people actually being there. Wow. As of right now, for this year's event, we have 112 RSVPs, so that's 10% more than last year. So I'm hoping that we'll have about 10% more people. <laughs> but, you know, as far as how that is going to translate into donation amount, you know, hard to tell. Because uh, apart from the tournament itself, I also have a silent auction. So, you know, that provides another uh, avenue for uh, getting donations. And, you know, that grows on a completely different factor than, you know, just the number of people that are there. 
So how how are these tournaments uh, set up? Is there like an entry fee? Like what exactly is the tournament? Uh, well, the tournament is structured kind of like a you know large-ish event. Like you know you go to a standard open, you have a main event, and you have side events. Uh-huh. Uh, of course, mine is not exactly that big of a scale, but there is a main event. The entry fee for it is fifteen dollars. Um, you know, standard constructed because that's what people like to play in the Toledo area. And then there are side events for the people that don't like standard. Uh, I have $10 drafts. I have $10 quote-unquote win a loot, which is sort of like win a box, except that I don't have that many boxes to give away. (laughs) So instead of a box, you get a loot ticket that you can then turn in for, uh, let's say, a uh, Dark Confidant Judge Foil. Or I mean, (laughs) not that I have Dark Confidants available anymore, so don't come to Toledo (laughs) thinking that you can win a Dark Confidant. But, I mean, basically, uh, you know... uh, Depending on what the judge foil is worth, uh, an $80-ish card goes for one loot ticket, a $40-ish card goes for half a loot ticket, a $20-ish card goes for a quarter loot ticket, and so you can turn in your loot ticket and, you know, grab from the loot case whatever adds up to, you know, the one ticket you won. Um, so so that's the, the window loots, and then new for this year, um, there were requests for commander pods, so I'm going to offer commander pods for $5.00. Uh, four people play one game, and then there's uh, you know an achievement point scale, and then depending on how many achievement points you got, you win four, three, two, or one booster packs. So how do you go about getting the uh, donations from local businesses and stuff like that for your silent auction? And it's it's not just magic cards, right? I mean, you get uh, stuff from the from local local places. Uh, well. Uh... I can tell you the way I do it, and that's not necessarily the way everybody should do it, or that, that that's the only way to do it. I give out magic stuff at my tournaments. So while I am aware of the possibility of just asking random businesses for random stuff, that doesn't sit right with me. I don't know why. I mean, I, I feel weird going to, I don't know, a pizza place and asking them for pizza coupons or whatnot. I mean, I'm most comfortable in the uh, magic player and magic store realm so you know there's uh toledo has several stores within driving distance of each other and i have pretty good rapport with all of them so you know i go there and ask them nicely for stuff and uh they give me certain amounts of stuff but many of the donations still come from myself and other judges and uh the lion's share still comes from me i mean basically any any product any judge foils that i get for judging in my tournaments uh I put aside to throw into the prize pool for cast a spell on a mess. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's just the way I do it because you know, I mean, to run a tournament, you have to you know either do a lot yourself or ask people for favors, and you know I'm just more comfortable doing it myself than asking people for favors. So that's how I'm doing it. But um, you know, as I said, that's not the only way that you can do it. Have you? I mean, what what other ways might somebody do it? Well, I mean. You know, go to local businesses and ask them nicely. Uh, depending on what charity uh, you're supporting, you might be able to offer tax breaks. But uh, that's also one thing that I know nothing about, have not really looked into at all. I mean, as far as you know, giving people receipts for tax write-offs and things like that. I mean, the people that I ask for donations just don't ask for that. I mean, you know, <laughs> either they give me stuff or they decline, and you know, whatever happens, happens. Does your uh, does your event have a, a website or anything like that? Oh yeah, www.castspellonms.org. All right. 
we can put that up into the show notes, right? Yeah, no problem. That's why I was asking. Yep. Here's a secret. It, it is, I already it is knew. Very barren, it is very barren looking. That's all right. As long <laughs> as it has the basic information, which is that it's, it's March 29th. Yeah. Like like everything else that's running on a shoestring budget, it is running off of a server in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, since the website is basically just a sales brochure for or in an event flyer for the tournament, I mean... Uh, for the very first time I did it, I actually programmed a pre-registration system that three people, yes, one, two, three people <laughs> actually used. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to bother with this again. <laughs> so you said this was, this was a, I mean, it's getting to be a, a huge event, larger than some PTQs. Um, who all is helping you? Because you said that you can't, you can't, it's too much for one person to do alone now. Yep. Who all yeah, is the biggest... uh, helping the biggest contributor has to be Stephen Briggs. Um, starting last year, he offered to take care of the venue for me. So he is actually acquiring the venue from the uh, Seagate Center in Toledo, which is, you know, basically the conference center in Toledo. And, uh, you know, he has arranged for a very spacious hall for us to have the event. And, uh, you know, he basically takes care of the financial side of that and uh, recoups his expense by bringing in vendors. And, you know, my side of it is I get the venue for free <laughs> to works. have my tournament in. So that is definitely a big deal for me. And uh, as I said, I can't say enough good things about Stephen Briggs. <laughs> um, and, you know, then I just have volunteers that, you know, like me, just want to uh, put up their time for a good cause and uh, are happy to help. Uh, until last year, it was mostly people that... You know, either asked me in person whether they could help or just people from Toledo. I mean, Toledo, actually, we have a, a bunch of certified judges, L1s that, uh, you know, I have certified. So, you know, those would be the people most likely to help me out. But uh, for this year, I have actually posted the event on the Judge Apps website uh, to, you know, to just uh, keep an overview of who is actually willing to help out. And... Um, it's going to be an interesting selection process. Seventeen people have applied. Wow, and and these wow. these are probably all pure volunteers, right? Like true volunteers. Yeah, not volunteers I mean, well, like we are for GPs, but real volunteers. Right. Well, I mean, I was very frank in uh, posting the event on Judge Apps that I cannot offer much in the way of compensation. I mean, each judge will get a randomly selected judge foil, oh. uh, but uh, that's it. You know, other than that, uh, you know, there. I mean, nobody will help me out at my event expecting to make a profit. Right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, even even with being that frank and upfront about it, uh, I have 17 people that want to help me out. And, you know, realistically, I'll be able to use nine of them, one scorekeeper and eight floor judges. And that's probably going to be plenty for, you know, what I can expect in my wildest expectation to have us turn out. <laughs> wow. That's really awesome. So, yeah. So, yeah, almost... Uh, almost 50 percent i'm gonna have to end up rejecting and you know i'm still at uh, the the application window is still open for the next couple of days at least as of right now i don't know when this is going to air um in a couple of so days. yeah just in time for that application <laughs> right. window to be closed <laughs> yeah so if more people apply that only means i'm going to have to reject more people <laughs> <laughs> so if there's a judge out there who wants to um run one of these on their own for a different cause or the same cause, I suppose. Uh, do you have any, any advice, anything you haven't already brought up that you want to talk about? Okay. Well, I mean, you know, running a charity tournament is very much like running any other tournament for the most part. I mean, you're going to need a venue. You're going to need players. <laughs> you're going to need staff. 
So anything that a normal tournament needs, a charity tournament needs. The only difference is that uh, you're working with a very limited budget. So you have to ask for a lot of favors. And of course, don't forget to say thank you after the event is done to all the people <laughs> that helped you. Uh, because the more you say thank you, the more people are willing to continue to help you out in the future. Um, and then, you know, the other only other thing is for a charity tournament, of course, you need to have a cause. Um, so, you know, pick a cause that uh, you think is worthy of your support. Pick a cause that you're passionate about because uh, your passion will show and that will make people excited to help you out. And I guess it helps if it's a you know cause that's near and dear to you, like in my case, you know, <laughs> having the personal connection to somebody who is uh, affected by MS, uh, sure. I think, helps me have the drive to continue to do this year after year. And I get, and I, I guess one of the, one of the things it sounds like is don't just like the first one that you had. It had 20, 20, 24 people show up. You said. 27, yeah, 25. Yeah. 25. And you didn't just go like, oh, well, this this wasn't worth it. You you sat back, you looked at what went wrong, and you gave it another go the following year. And you advertised and you promoted it, and mm -hmm. you've, you've really turned it into something. So probably a, a bit of advice would be don't just use the single the single event is your data point as to as to right. how well it's going to be. Yep. And don't give up. Yeah. <laughs> Right, because I guess if you're if you're doing it for charity, you know, even five dollars or ten dollars or something like that, even a small amount is 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 still more than they would have had before. Yep. Now, and another thing to consider is depending on what kind of charity you're uh, uh, raising for, uh, some charities will accept in-kind donations, like uh, Toys for Tots, for example. You know, you could do a toy drive and allow people instead of donating money, donate toys. Or for a food drive, you could have people donate canned goods instead of, you know, money. I mean, with the MS Society, you know, they need money. <laughs> so so that's, uh, you know, there isn't really any in-kind donations that I could accept for that tournament. <laughs> they but, won't you know, take If you a, pick the right cause, you can, you can do some fun things with that. And uh, I've heard about uh, ideas where, you know, like for a food drive, uh, you could have a special unsanctioned draft where you allow people for a can of food, pick an extra card from your pack. Uh, or you know, for for a certain food donation during a during a match, uh, open a booster from somewhere and add that to your hand, or you know, just various crazy things you can do with uh, unsanctioned tournaments. But I mean, that depends on what your players want. You know, do they want to have fun in unsanctioned tournaments, or do they want to play a sanctioned tournament? And that you know, those are decisions that you have to make, and uh, based on uh, you know what you want to do, what you think your customers want. I will. Does, does anyone have anything else they want to add? I actually have one more question. Do um, it. So you you talked a little bit about advertising. You said you put it on Facebook uh, and, and stuff. So was there anything that wasn't traditional that you did because it was a charity event? He's here. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> He's here on JudgeCast. Well, yeah, yeah, here on JudgeCast. But I mean, other than that, is there anything you did that you wouldn't normally do for an event to promote it because it's a charity event? Like, was there any place you were able to promote it because it's charity that you otherwise wouldn't? Um, Not really? Am I, I don't just... know. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably in a uniquely bad position to answer that question because this charity tournament is the only thing I've actually ever done. I have not <laughs> run any for-profit tournaments. <laughs> Which actually makes this much more interesting in that, in that like, that's how you got into organizing tournaments was to do a charity tournament. That's a very unique yep. story. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, I have no advice at all for how to advertise a for-profit tournament. Are you, you know... What, <laughs> I was trying to look for how it's differentiated, like what you were able to do that's different that somebody might be able to do who's only used to doing mm -hmm. for profit 
investments. I mean, uh, this, the because it is for charity, people are definitely open to helping you. And I've been able to advertise by, you know, just posting flyers in stores, which, you know, if you're trying to advertise for a competing store, they might not be as willing to let you do that, right. uh, depending on, you know, how the politics are in your area and how the stores like to cooperate or compete with each other. I hear that different areas are very different in that respect. Um, and but yeah, I mean, because I am, you know, doing this for charity, I'm not doing this for gain. Uh, people are very, uh, you know, uh, amenable to the idea of helping me and letting me advertise in their stores. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah. Well, one thing is like you can post it on uh, the ju the judge forms, you know, because usually this, you know, we'll say this like a PTQ size event. You can't post those on the judge forms naturally, but. For something like this, I don't think anyone would mind for a charity uh, event. Am I wrong? Am yeah, I crazy? Probably not. Okay, you haven't uh, tried. <laughs> uh, we got, yeah, we got I mean, people. As far as, <clears throat> yeah, as, as far as raising awareness for this tournament, I mean, as I said, most of my advertising I do on Facebook, Twitter, uh, word of mouth, and you know, I am reaching a uh, significant number of people that way. I'm not sure how many more people I would uh, reach by you know posting it on Judge apps, for example. Yeah. Um, I, I have a question about your tournament, uh, Karsten. Um, is a coat check going to be available oh. at your <laughs> at your tournament? This is Judge App. Judge App's jokes. Okay. I have no idea what that just happened. Oh, <laughs> so oh someone doesn't read the forums. Uh oh. Judge forums where someone was asking uh, if they could have a mandatory coat check at their at their events, uh, so so as to encourage players to not wear their coats inside the venue because that would create a certain odor. Uh, and uh, it, it, well, I am happy to say that I missed that discussion. Oh, I don't know. Were you, were you around for the Hatsit pre-releases uh, conversation a few oh, years no. ago? Oh God, yes. Okay, it was basically that. It was instead of hats at pre-releases, it was coat checks at PTQs. <laughs> well, I, I'm gonna hazard a guess that I didn't miss much. Okay. Right. So it sounds it sounds like we're ready to move on. But Carson, I think it's I think it's a really cool thing that you're doing, and I'm hoping that some people are able to learn from your example. And I guess just to just to drop, uh, what's the total amount you've raised again? Uh, Nine thousand seven hundred seventy-one over the four years I've done it. Wow. For our money. This episode is just yep. us saying wow a bunch of times. <laughs> our very lofty goal for this year is a total donation amount of $10,000 for <laughs> just this year. But that is, I think, very lofty. But we'll see. Um, one of the, uh, as I said, you know, one of the extra income sources I have at this tournament is the silent auction. And one item that I'm auctioning off this year is an uncut foil sheet of Modern Masters Rare Mythic Rare. Wow. Which... Uh, I'm hoping it's going to fetch a four-digit number. I want that. <laughs> well, come to my tournament and bid. <laughs> uh, I don't want it for. I don't want it a $1,000. An uncut sheet, an uncut sheet? Can you can you uh, divulge where that where that came from or who donated uh, that? I have actually divulged this uh, in the past, so yes, I can. Uh, Wizards of the Coast sent it to me as a uh, token of appreciation for my work on the Judge Apps site. <laughs> oh wow! I, yep. I have a well, hard actually, time giving that I, one I up. guess yeah, I guess uh, uh, Lems requested from Wizards of the Coast that they send this to me, <laughs> and uh, he asked them to send me an uncut foil sheet, and uh, they I guess randomly you know gr grabbed a Modern Masters Mythic 
rare sheet from a bucket or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, to them, it's just paper. Yeah, right? they just have a stack of them. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that uh, one day a couple months ago, I saw this uh, FedEx triangle shipping thing in the corner of uh, our dining room. And uh, I didn't even see the <clears throat> shipping label on it. To me, it just looked like my wife bought this thing. And I'm like, I guess she's planning on shipping something <laughs> weirdly shaped. So I ignored it and, you know, sat down in the living room. And then later that day, my wife said, hey, uh, so you got this package there. And I'm like, what? <laughs> So so I went over to it and opened it, and inside was the shipping tube, and then inside there was uh, something I couldn't quite identify at first. I'm like, what, Wizards of the Coast is sending me a poster? <laughs> so I pulled it out, and it ended up being this uncut foil sheet, and I nearly grabbed my pants. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, this is nice. <laughs> yes. This will fetch a nice amount of uh, money for a charity. And and yeah, I mean, the, the thought of keeping it for myself just never even occurred to me. <laughs> I mean, what would I do with it? Display it in my living room? Sell it yes. for profit? I don't know. Display it in your living room. That's what I would do. <laughs> but I'm, I'm not a good person like you are. So, and uh, one so, last yeah. thing. So that, that this event, when is it happening? What do you mean when? March 29th. Date? <laughs> yeah, March. Yeah, I don't 20th. know if we, we went over it already. I think. <laughs> yeah, we did. I yeah. just wanted to reiterate if you want to go when and where it's happening. Is that something we can do yep. or do it? Yep, March 29th, Toledo, Ohio. All the information is on www.castspillonms.org. Which will be in the show notes. Yep. Awesome. I wish I was anywhere near Ohio. Fly out. <laughs> if if only mankind had invented a technology that allows you to travel through air. <laughs> he just got home from Richmond. Too, huh. like today. Oh my God, it took me two days to get home from Richmond. Yeah. Hey, that's a nice segue into the next topic. Okay, sure. <laughs> we have uh, a, a little bit of news items. We have two new level threes. We'll start with the one from Richmond, Paul Baronet. <clears throat> Where does Paul Baronet live? Does anyone know? I wrote from the woods because he's a bear. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, the northeast. Yeah, up I there. <laughs> well, he's been on JudgeCast before. He was he was great. Actually, yes. oh, he's been on JudgeCast and JudgeCast North, which I... Oh, wait, Karsten, weren't you on JudgeCast North? I was. I... Uh, Two years ago, I want to say. Mm, wait, so mm, which episode was Bears on? Ours? Yeah. It, it was one of the ones that you... Uh... Uh, were unable to attend. Okay, like, that's two why I don't recall. Yeah. Okay, I was like, really? Anyway, he's from Connecticut. Because I was about to say, uh, Paul Paul Baronet or Bears is the only one that's been on both JudgeCast North and JudgeCast, but now Karsten is the second one to have ever done that that feat. Oh, and Toby, <laughs> man, this all came up when Paul when Paul Baronet was on. I'm sounding like an idiot now. I forgot that Toby, <laughs> now? I forgot that now? Toby was on there. And anyway, we also have a new another new level three, Jorge. Re- Requisins. Requisins. From Barcelona, Spain. Porculus. 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 Yes, yes. Congratulations to both of those guys. Very cool. Very cool. So let's dive into our emails, shall we? Yay, emails. All right, don't be too excited about our emails. (laughs) Emails! Our first email. I am sick as a dog from Richmond. Oh, (laughs) You'll be fine. I, M- Michael Puccio, I so am so angry. At you. I'm dropping your name. I'm so mad. It was only what four thousand three hundred one players. That's the last number so I heard. Four, four, Forty-three oh three, I think was the total number, and it was insane. 
Everybody uh, else at that yeah, event when... was perfectly healthy except Michael Puccio. <laughs> it's all his fault. So, so when I saw the buzz about the pre-registration numbers for Richmond, I went as far as checking on Google Maps how far of a drive it is from Toledo to Richmond. <laughs> Which, it actually would have been doable if it weren't for the fact that I had existing family obligations last weekend. Yeah. <laughs> so I couldn't make it, even if I had wanted to. <laughs> when I saw the buzz, I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I actually had the opposite reaction. As soon as I saw that they were going to have so many people uh, uh, like two weeks out when they were like, we just broke 1500 on pre-reg. I'm like, Oh my God, they're going to get slammed. And, uh, <laughs> and I sent a message to Sam Strauss. I was like, Hey, do you, do you need more help? And well, I bet I know the answer was, Oh yes, please. Thank yes, you. Yes. Every help free. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, his answer was, was yes, please come out if you can. Uh, <laughs> you know, what days do you want? Was <laughs> basically the answer. Uh, and it was, I went out there and, uh, Brian and I on Saturday were both deck checks team leads. So we kind of started the day off with a, a combined team judge cast team briefing, <laughs> except there was no CJ Schrader. Right. I was tagged in that and I was like, I'm not there. We noticed, <laughs> but it was awesome. Uh, Brian and I worked together to handle some, some unique challenges as deck checks team leads. Uh, namely that we started the event with, I don't know, what would you say? Probably like 120, 130 missing lists or something like that, Brian? My side had 75 and your side was larger. Yeah. So it may actually have been like 150, 160 missing deck lists. Um, so that was fun to track all that down. Uh, but we got there. Yes. Sleep in specials uh, trickled in. Well, so what what it started with is, and the majority of it was that there were the sleep and special deck lists had been emailed, but nobody had given those emails to the deck checks team, Uh which was obviously a bad thing. (laughs) Right. And there was also a lot of round one drops. Also, so I guess people, many round one drops. I guess people just wanting the play mat. Well, uh, so it gets to the point, like with Vegas, where you 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 get the play mat, and then you're like, I I can't. It's not good value for me to stay in this event because it's so hard to cash with that many people that you just drop and play sides. And many of those people didn't even bother turning in a deck list. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So so sorting sorting all that out was was fun. But we're not gonna talk about that. We'll gossip about that after we stop recording. Oh, good. <laughs> can't wait <laughs> right. you're just sick about hearing you're just sick of hearing about richmond on facebook that's what it is isn't it brian uh, what's that i am yeah well all right all right all right <laughs> i can't i can't get into crack gate right now or we'll never stop <laughs> all right our first email comes from david korea vanagas see told you carson i took spanish espanol he says once again hey guys i hope all is well with you beautiful beautiful men Ooh, ooh. To the question now, if I have in play hive mind, por- porculus, possibility storm, and my opponent controls eye of the storm, and knowledgeable, and phased out Hakan, and blah, 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 how long will it take until Judge Cast puts me in the spam filter? Oh, uh, too late. You jokester. <laughs> yeah, if Brian hadn't responded to this, I probably would have already archived it. <laughs> but he got to it first. <laughs> On a related topic, I'm judging my very uh, my first event next game day. My question is, if you as a judge make a wrong ruling that potentially changes the outcome of a game, what should you do? If you realize after a couple turns have passed or at the end of the game... Oh, question mark. I did not read that properly. <laughs> Uh, so, other than apps.magicjudges.org or JudgeCast North, what resources would you recommend for someone studying to become a judge? Hey, cranial insertion. Cranial insertion. Cranial insertion. 
We actually had a whole episode on resources. Now, it's a little outdated by this point, but it was called um, Unlimited Resources. I remember the name of it because uh, someone thought we would have someone from Limited Resources on it, and we did not, and then they were upset. Uh, <laughs> but it definitely mentions cranial insertion in there, the rules tip blog uh, run by Paul Baronet of all people, um, things like that. But anyway, oh, and then he also says, once again, thanks for putting up with the bad jokes, but we, the audience, do it all the time for you guys. And tell Prilliman he's still my favorite. Oh. Now, I have a story about this guy because he was on what? IRC chatting with me. And at the end of the chat, you know, he, he's like, oh, you CJ Schrader, big fan, all that. And at the end of the tatty, chat, he was like, tell Perlman he's my he's my favorite. <laughs> I was like, ouch. Like, <laughs> that's right. You tell Perlman he's your favorite. No, no, no. No, 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 David. You tell everybody else that I'm your favorite. Other two anyway, hosts, that's what you know, that's what got him past the spam filter. Garbage hosts, but... Prilliman is his favorite. <laughs> Got there. Anyway, so you're judging, you mess up. What do you do? Apologize. Good plan. Well, I, I was like, you first you panic and go throw up in the bathroom. <laughs> so but, uh, the first the first thing you should do is go see if it's too late to fix it. Uh, sometimes they haven't gotten very far or anywhere at all, and you can just fix it. And if that's the case, stop, apologize, fix it, and move on. And what I mean by fix it is treat it as though it's like you're just rewinding a GRV. Um, obviously you're not going to give the players any penalties for a mistake they made because you made a ruling, but you still want to try and fix it if possible. If you can't fix it, you should still apologize and explain how it works. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, sometimes players won't take that very well. Sometimes players will be like, well, thanks for letting me know. Um, and if it was something that like actually you know, actively hurt their game, uh, you know, you could bring it up to the TO, uh, and perhaps the TO can, you know, if, if it like eliminated them from the event or whatever, can, can refund the event or something like that. But that's, that's really up to the TO. Um, is there anything else that you guys would add to that? No, I'll tell a little story from my uh, legacy open a couple weeks ago is that uh, uh, I was asked a question about Sylvan library and the initial thing I said about it was wrong. It's about how it interacts with dredge of all things or yeah, dredge. And, um, and the initial thing I said about it was wrong. And, and when I realized that I, I go to the judge who, cause the judge had brought it to me cause the judge wasn't sure. And I go to the judge and I'm like, Oh man, I messed this up. And he's like, Oh, well, is this table right here? And I go over there and I'm about to say, you know, about Sylvan Library, but I look at both of them and they have they have no cards played yet or anything like that. And I was like, I was like, that question you asked, was that during a game or were you just asking about a card in your hand? He's like, oh, it's a card in my hand. And I was like, oh, let's step away from the table then. Because <laughs> I almost <laughs> said a card in his hand. I didn't realize it was uh, not during the game that this came up. So that was a lucky one. But the, the point is, on that one, I was able to go there and fix it before it even became a problem. So that was pretty nice. Sometimes. And it was almost like the best punt story ever. <laughs> it almost. Oh, man, if I had said the card in his hand. Wow. I was very close. I, I was like, I was, I was also like, oh, you had this, uh, you know, I was like, oh, never mind. So, so th this, this uh, writer's troll at the beginning where he's like, you know, if I bring up all these cards, so how long will it take to put in the spam filter? It reminds me of something that happened at one of my pre-releases. <laughs> okay. Uh, where I, I turned to one of my, uh, one of my judges and I'm talking to him and I'm all right, I'm like, all right, you know, it's time to. It's time for us to go on break. Let's make sure we're back at the at the beginning of the next round. And there's a judge call right next to me. And I'm like, okay, I'll take this judge call real quick, and then I'll and then I'll go uh, to break. And it's uh, and I, I'm going to call him out. It's Tom Martel. All right. And and he goes he goes, judge, I have a question for you. So if I have a humility in play and an opalescence, and I cast 
you know, restock to get this, that, and the other thing. It just like goes on this long chain of of ridiculous cards, most of which have nothing to do with each other. Right. And he goes, so if I have all of these things, how long can I keep you from going on your break? <laughs> nice. Can't keep me at all. I'm like, ha ha, very funny. I'll talk to you later. Once you list more than three cards, I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> like, I can't deal with that. Uh, all right, next email. Also from David Correa Venegas. Um, we get a little follow-up because that last one he mentioned, he was about to judge for the first time, and he says, I'm happy to report that my first event as a judge, game day, went smoothly, and I blame you. Um, he Sweet. talks about he has an issue. Uh, you know, he might be 100% confident about a ruling, and he has issues explaining the ruling to other players. Um, for that specific issue, I, I think it just kind of comes with experience. Like, I, I had the same problems when I was new. Um, you, you, over time, you just kind of figure out the right things to say. And and sometimes if you, if you just think of the player as kind of your buddy, in a, in a sense, it, it helps you It helps you maybe loosen up on the, the formality of the language. Mm-hmm. Like, I've I've been up to rulings. I've gone up to rulings, and when they ask, like, you know, well, the token's about to go to the graveyard, and I was like, oh, well, state-based actions, blah, blah, blah. And the player just kind of looks at me funny, and then I go, it goes poof. And he goes, it goes poof. And I go, yeah, it goes poof. Oh, poof. (laughs) Okay, well, you know. So so sometimes using imprecise language can actually get your point across much faster and much quicker. Right, and it's an art form to find exactly the amount, right amount of detail to provide with your ruling, to you know reassure the player that you know what you're talking about, but don't take too much time, so that you, know, you have to give them a ten minute time extension to cover your explanation. Yeah, and the the other thing I'll mention is we've mentioned this a few times is uh, I you know a you should always be reading the cards anyway just to make sure they're right, but b I always pick up and read the card, and that's that's just to to buy some time to gather my thoughts like. A lot of time I'm not actually reading the card or I'm not looking at it too closely or I've already read it and I'm still staring at the card. It just gives you time <laughs> to figure out what you're about to say. Yep, That's my trick. But that's not even his question. Uh, he says, on to the question. During the event I judged by myself, I had helped a level one during the first game day. The TO approached me and warned me about a guy. This guy was a slow player. Everyone knew about it. He managed to win the first round 1-0, a single 50 plus minute game. Tie the second one for time. Win the third one close to time. Uh, blah, blah, blah. The point is he's a slow player. Um, during the second and third round, I reminded him to play faster. A total of two times. Now, note this is game day. So this is a regular REL. Uh, still, he took three plus minute turns, sometimes with simple game states, and shuffled each time he could. He had shuffle effects in his deck. By pile, mash, and riffle a few times, then pile again. You get my point. He's a regular and older experienced guy. He plays several formats and has played competitive. He also he was also a bit mocking and abrasive when I reminded him to play faster. For an inexperienced judge like me, how do you come about solving this issue? At what point is a game loss in order at regular REL? He's certainly doing it deliberately and at his convenience, so I fear I should have already issued him a game loss, but I was not confident on that case. Well, well if he is doing it deliberately, uh, that's not a game loss. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it, and it sounds it sounds like you know what's going on, uh, David. If he, is, if, he, if he is trying to take advantage of of the the time limit, uh, like you, you mentioned, he won his first game one zero, first round one zero. If he, if he's playing slowly so he can take advantage of the time limit, then that's something he should be disqualified for. Uh, now I'm not even a regular REL. Now I'm not saying that that's necessarily the case. I was obviously I wasn't there. Uh, I don't I don't know the person. I don't know the situation. But but if you think that's the case as a judge, it's your opinion that this person is breaking the rules intentionally. 
uh, for to, to get an advantage, then yeah, you absolutely should disqualify this person. Yeah. Uh, yep. it, it doesn't matter what Ariel that's that's at. Um, you you don't have to allow, or more the TO does not have to allow this person in his events. You know, and that's and that's some that is an option that's also available. You know, uh, so right. consider that as well. So let's take another tack though, um, and say you you have a player he's playing slowly and 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 he's not doing it you know obviously deliberately he's just a slow player. Um, this is regular REL, and you've told him a couple times that he needs to play faster, and he still isn't. Like, how do you handle that at regular REL? One of my local judges actually had that very same question for me. Uh, in this case, it was a younger, more inexperienced player mm-hmm. who was, you know, taking a lot of time taking his turns just because, you know, he was thinking about every action. Um, and, you know, he was a known problem to everybody in the store. And, you know, the judge didn't know how he could approach it. And I reminded him that the judging at regular Ariel document, the JAR, uh, lists playing slowly as one of the things that we find unacceptable, and if they are repeated, we are empowered to give game loss penalties, and uh, that uh, the judge should remind the player that this option exists. And uh, that actually did the trick, and the player sped up his pace. Cool. Yeah, I think that's fine. I think that's perfectly reasonable. Um, you know, you gave him a couple warnings. What else can you do? Low, lowercase w. I yes. need you to play. Yeah. 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 Got you. Um, some cautions, I guess, would be the judge way of saying it, or it's regular Oreo. All right, let's dive into our final email. The first one's kind of a policy-ish question, and the second one's a rules one, which is right down Karsten's alley. <laughs> I'm really bad at these. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll let Carson do the second one, although you may participate in the first one as well as you'd like, Carson. So this is from Dan Kigiros. And he says, hey, Judge Casts, obligatory accolades from your cast here. Funny, informative, and incredibly useful. I've got two questions for you, and this time I'm pretty sure you can definitely answer them. Question one, Battlecat and Milkshake are playing a win and in in the final match of day on day two of a modern Grand Prix. You are the judge attending the table in extra turns. Milkshake is at six life with no cards in hand and on an empty board. Battlecat controls hero blade hold and enters declared attackers, saying, swing with hero, trigger, trigger, attack for seven, kill you. So hero blade hold is that bro with battle cries, a 3-4, and whenever hero blade hold attacks, put two 1-1 one, one white soldier creature tokens on the battlefield tapped and attacking. Milkshake, being the jerk he is, tells Battlecat to hold up and asks him specifically what order the triggers go on the stack. Battlecat responds incorrectly. So the trick here with hero blade hold is you could technically stack the triggers in such a way that your attacking tokens do not get the battle cry bonus, which is very sad. Um, I do it on MTGO all the time, but in real life, nobody actually does it. Uh, so Battlecat responds incorrectly after a long two days, accidentally phrases it in such a way that makes it to- uh, makes whatever the tokens we made after the battle cry results. Does the fact that he initially stated stated to attack for seven, clearly indicating his intent, make a difference? Does a ruling change if this was day one and at competitive rather than day two at professional? Who would like to tackle this? Hmm. <laughs> Here, I'll tell you what I said, and I'm not even saying this is correct. Um, in, in my response, I said that you might get different answers from different judges. So I am actually curious on what you guys say about this as well. Um, I, I said that, you know, if he was just attacking with the hero blade hold and the opponent was like, well, how do you stack them? I stack the triggers and and he said, <clears throat> so that battle cry resolves last. I think we would all allow that, right? I, I don't think we would actually hold them to know exactly how the triggers right. need to resolve. Um, yeah, if they say that battle cry resolves last, that is definitely good enough. Yes. So to me, when they said attack for seven, 
that that was good enough for me. I I would yeah. let it I would let it go through like that. Mm, <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. Yeah. And here's why. Um, what if I said I'm gonna cast Splinter Twin on my Deceiver Exarch and attack you for a million? And the opponent said, whoa, 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 hold up and show me what you're doing. And then they did it wrong. I, I totally understand where you're coming from, because even when I was making that reply, I was like, well, you know, let's talk about the Oblivion Ring trick, so to speak. Right. Some and people are like, something else is going to bring up. Yeah. Some people are like, I know I'm going to do the Oblivion Ring trick on your guy. And they don't know how to actually do it. Um, I've seen that with Maleripod in Modern as well, uh-huh. where people are just like, I have these three creatures in place, so I win, right? And you're like, uh... You have to know what you're doing with them. So in this particular case, though, let's let's assume for a second that the guy is, is he goes attacks for seven. He knows how it works. When the judge comes over, he can explain how it's, it works. It's just slip of the tongue kind of thing. OK, I would I would put the weight over the fact that he can explain how it works. And he said that he attacked for seven uh, uh, over over that verbal verbal oopsie. Uh, I would also take over over both of that how they'd been doing it previously. Yeah, that's that. going to be the important thing here. Like okay. if he'd been swinging, if he'd been swinging all game, going swing for seven, well, and he does it again, then that's how it's going to be this time also. Right. I like yeah. to say that magic is a game of cards, not a game of words. Right. Right. As long as long as it's clear enough that the player or which strategic decision the player made. Whether they communicate that decision 100% correctly and putting it into just exactly the right words is not relevant. What is relevant is what decision did they actually make. Right. Yeah. I saw somebody at the at GP Richmond, uh, you know, somebody casts Pestermite targeting their land. So they tap their land for mana and then they go, do you still want to use Pestermite's ability? And he was like, well, yeah. And he goes, okay, well, I get to untap it then. <laughs> Because that's, you know, Pester Might says tap yeah. or untap target permanent. Right. And uh, and that got a judge call and we were like, no, no, that's that is not what is about to happen here. Yeah, that's that's what we uh, call rules lawyering. And we don't want that to happen. <laughs> right. And I think this is a case of that as well. Now, now, if we ask the player, explain to me what it is you're trying to do. And he actually just doesn't understand how the stack works, which I sincerely doubt since it's the win it in on day two of a GP. But <laughs> let's assume uh, that he just has no idea how this interaction is supposed to take place, well, then I'm probably not going to give him the benefit of the doubt here. Right. I mean, knowing the rules of the game is still a skill that we want to test. Right. If it's just an issue of him communicating it incorrectly because he's tired, well, that's that's different. All right. Well, we'll dive into our next question. Nelson controls a bear cub with three plus one plus one counters on it. So it's a five five. Alexander has nine cards in hand and three mountains in play. Alexander casts Searing Blood on the Bear Cub and ends his turn. I'll read these cards in just a second. When he goes to discard, he discards a Fiery Temper targeting the Bear Cub and begins to mark three damage to Nelson, believing that the Bear Cub is destroyed. What happens? All right, so Searing Blood is Searing Blood deals two damage to target creature. When that creature dies this turn, Searing Blood deals three damage to the creature's controller. Fiery Temper is is an old card with madness, and it says Fiery Temper deals three damage to target creature or player, and it has madness for R. So... The, the trick here was he was casting Searing Blood in, well, let's say, his second main. It doesn't say when exactly. And then he was casting Fiery Temper after he had to discard it um, when he had to discard down to seven cards. Uh, the issue is that the cleanup step has already begun to happen and removed the damage from Searing Blood. Well, I mean, that's his question. What what exactly is happening there? Will the bear die? So the one of the bear is a 5-5? Five five? Yes. It's got counters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So then, no, it doesn't die, which is very unfortunate. Why? Why is that? 
Well, you just explained it. I know. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. You explain it. (laughs) (laughs) So so this is weird because uh, of the whole timing in what happens in the cleanup step. You discard first, so you discard your fiery temper, but the whole madness thing doesn't happen until a triggered ability goes off, which happens later. So you discard first, then uh, end of turn, or until end of turn, effects expire and uh, damage is removed, and then you have a triggered ability to be dealt with, so that goes on the stack and players get priority. So by the time the triggered ability resolves and lets you cast your Fiery Temper that you exiled instead of discarding it, uh, that now resolves after the marked damage has been removed from uh, your 5-5 monstrous bear. <laughs> That's sad. That's really sad. Uh, he has a follow-up question. Alexander waits until his discard step with nine cards in hand, attempts to discard only the Fiery Temper, and in response to Madness, I guess the trigger, cast Searing Blood. Is this a legal play? Uh, no. He's got he's to discard down. He's got to discard down to seven. Well, sure. Right. He discards down to seven. He's not, he's not discarding the Searing Blood. Well, no. It says, it says he waits until his discard step with nine cards in his hand and attempts to discard only the Fiery oh. Temper. Oh, why I misunderstood this question. Um, so yeah, that way is certainly not legal. I mean, he can choose to discard one by one. Uh, he has to discard down to seven, but yeah. assuming that he leaves a searing blood in his hand, discarding to seven, uh, then sure, that works. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so to reiterate, when you discard a card with madness, that's a trigger, and the trigger is going to wait until we finish doing all the normal cleanup step stuff before it actually goes on the stack. So that's why you wouldn't be able to um, cast the searing blood in response to the trigger yet, because we have you still have to discard more cards. Cool. I have to respond to that email again because I totally misunderstood that second question. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's all our emails. Uh, if you listeners out there would like to email us, you can email us at judgecast at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast or visit our website at judgecast.com. Karsten? Yes? Thank you for being on with us. Uh, Thanks. It was... uh, would you like some contact information for me? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm on Twitter. My Twitter name is C underscore Hase. So Hase. C underscore H-A-E-S-E. Okay. Uh, cranial insertion is also on Twitter. We are cranial tweet. So if you want to follow us for short bursts of questions and answers, uh, you can do that. And uh, yeah, once again, uh, cast a spell on MS is www.castaspellonms.org. And um, yeah, if you hear this and it's not March 29th yet, uh, I'd love to see you in Toledo. If you hear so, so one of so one of the things, uh, <clears throat> just real quick on the the cranial insertion Twitter account. Um, I actually recommend people use that or you can you can tweet us as well. Uh, I send a lot of people there from uh, from the Magic Judges Twitter account uh, because that account does not answer rules questions on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, if, if you want to get your 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 dose of your Twitter dose of rules questions answered, uh, uh, cranial insertion is a good place to go to as well as us. But they're uh, quicker about it than we are. <laughs> Also, that one time, uh, someone emailed us and said, well, cranial insertion said this, and you said this, oh, so... Yeah, there was that, too. And I think we were wrong, weren't we? I think we lost that one. We did. I, I don't think cranial insertion's <laughs> ever been wrong. <laughs> it happens occasionally, but not often. No one I, I I was having a conversation with uh, with an L2 uh, here in Orlando about a, a rules thing, and he, and he asked me a question. I answered, you know, way X. 
And uh, we were arguing back and forth. He's like, well, I asked a guy on IRC named Karsten. He said it worked this way. And I was like, oh, well, I'm wrong. Then. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was like, is that all I have to say to win an argument with you? And I was like, ah, it's pretty close yeah. to it. All right. Does anyone have anything? So I have a reputation, huh? Yes. <laughs> Does anyone have anything else they want to add before we wrap up the show? Uh, I would just like to thank all of the people who said totally awesome, nice things about JudgeCast and the three of us as hosts of JudgeCast while I was in GP Richmond. Uh, well, they only said nice things about the two of us. Oh. <laughs> Uh, pretty much all of them asked why CJ wasn't there, but other than that, they said nice things. Because I just had judged the Legacy Open the weekend before. I'm not a super judge like you guys. Uh, we just said it was because you were a jerk. <laughs> yeah, that's an absurd <laughs> statement. I, I cannot disagree with that. <laughs> all right. Well, I want to say thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure being here. Uh, we were very happy to have you. Was, I actually think it's a very interesting topic and I, I something so. that should probably get more exposure than it does. Definitely. Well, I'm happy to do my part. <laughs> all right. So for all the listeners out there, thank you so much for listening. One more thanks to Carson. This circle of thanks just will never stop. My name is CJ Schrader. I keep it fair. I'm Jess Dunks. I keep it fun. I'm Brian Frillman. I keep it in a coat check. <laughs> I'm Carson Hazard. I just am. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. So recording ended. Yes. Well, sure. <laughs> <laughs>